to die for us. So you find out that the motivation uh, behind the coming of Jesus Christ was because of God loves us in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Uh, let us get into the time of the word. Uh, the title of my message is The Ministry Function of an Apostle. We have got five ministerial gifts, so we cannot be exhaustive. So I'm just going to talk about an apostle and our key scriptures they are going to be coming from John 3, subsection 34, Ephesians 4, verse 11. We want to look at the ministry function of an apostle in the lens of our priesthood function because everybody was called to be a priest. So there's a priesthood function in every person's life. So that priesthood function is the one that we want to acquiesce with the function of an apostle looking at the church past, the church present, and the church future. We want to acquiesce our ministries and gifts based on the church past, church present, and church future. And looking at the life of Jesus Christ, that perfected prophecies and the promises that are in the world. So we are in John 3, verse 34. Are we there? John 3, verse 34. The Bible reads, For since he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, proclaims God's own message, God does not give him his spirit sparingly or by measure. Come on, somebody shout measure. But boundlessly is the gift of God. But boundlessly is the gift God makes of his spirit. John 3, 34, anyone with a different vision from my vision? You read Amplified. Yes. King James says, For he whom God has sent. Yes. Speaketh the words of God, for God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. Okay. And then the, the English, the standard version, it says, uh, For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. Measure. That's the key word. He gives the Spirit without measure. I want you to put a pin there. Ephesians 4, verse 11. I'm going to take it from here to 12. And his gifts were varied. He himself appointed and gave men to us, some to be apostles, which are special messengers, some prophets who are inspired preachers and expounders of the gospel, some evangelists, preachers of the gospel, who travel as missionaries. Then some pastors, whom God is called to be shepherds of his flock, according to Jeremiah 3, uh, 15, the Bible says, I will raise up and give you shepherds that are going to impart wisdom and knowledge unto you and teachers of the gospel. The reason being that his intention, God, was the perfection and the full equipping of the saints, his consecrated people, that they should do the work of ministering towards building up Christ's body, 
ecclesia, which is the church. So the backdrop of the story that is coming from the book of John 3:34, as we'll be looking at the, the function of an apostle from a priesthood viewpoint. Come on, somebody shout, I'm a priest. I am a priest. We are all priests in our all categories. We are priests in our families, in our businesses, priests of our lives. Which means that you have the responsibility and the prerogative to pray for your life. You have the responsibility to make declarations to your life. If one things to move, that's a responsibility. We have got uh, the responsibility and the honors to make sure that our brothers and sisters they come to the knowledge of the truth from the household where we are coming from. We have the responsibility to make sure that our tomorrow is better than our today. That's the priesthood function. The Bible says in the book of Ezekiel, I have sought for a man that could stand on the gate, but I found none. He's looking for a priest. So you're a priest to your tomorrow. If you want to see a shift and a change in your life, you're a priest of that particular event. A certain uh, man of God uh, went to his friend. His friend was an atheist, a man who does not love God, and he said to him, I'm inviting you to church. Come to church so that you worship God. And the man said, man, I must enjoy life. Why? Because we live once. And the man of God, he said, we don't live once, we die once, but we live every day. Which means you have got time to go to Dubai, and you have got time to go and visit your friends. You have got time to go and watch soccer, and you have got time again to come to the hospital. Why? Because we live every day. So when it's Sunday, come for these three hours for equipping, for the edification of the saints. So Jesus Christ is talking uh, with Nicodemus, that's the backdrop of the story in the book of John 3, 34. And as he was talking to, to Nicodemus, he's talking on the subject of, of being born again. And it's coming from John 3, 16, where the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Then 17, the Bible says, For God did not send his Son in the world so that he condemns the world, but the world through Jesus Christ might be saved. So when now Jesus Christ is talking, he continues now from 17 to 34. So 34 now is one of the most stunning verses of chapter 3, where Jesus Christ and John is saying that for God, whom he has said, speak the words of God, and he does not give his spirit sparingly and with measure. He who speaks God's word is given the spirit without measure. But when you go to the book of Ephesians 4, 11, you understand that the gifts that were given to men, to be apostles down to the teachers, were given according to the measure of Jesus Christ's grace. So when we are talking of the five ministerial giftings, what are we talking about? The administrator of these five ministerial giftings is Jesus Christ. He is the administrator of these five ministerial gifts. And the seven gifts of the Spirit is administered by the Holy Ghost. You know they are one, but they have got different offices as it relates to administration. So seven gifts, seven 
gift of administration are given by God as the Father. Nine spiritual gifts in the book of uh, Corinthians they are given by the Holy Ghost. But all they are given according to the measure of one's faith, according to the measure of God's grace. But John is saying, he who speaks this word is given the spirit without measure. So it simply means that you can have the spirit of God without measure, but on the basis of speaking God's word, not preaching on the pulpit, but when you give yourself into the doctrine of the word, when you are at work, then you speak God's word, he then gives you the spirit without measure. When you are chatting with your family on WhatsApp groups, then you chat about Christ. God gives you the spirit of that measure. When you are talking at uh, your inner community, at your flight with people that you meet, then you speak God's word. The Bible says that we are given the spirit of that measure. So you find out that if you take the five ministerial giftings plus nine gifts of the Holy Ghost and seven gifts of administration that are administered by God, they give you number 21. That's why you find out that naturally, when someone reaches 21 years old, you are given key. Why? Because it's indicative to maturity. So these gifts, when they are together, they are indicative to maturity. According to typology, you understand uh, that number one represents God as the Father, God as Spirit. Number two, it represents witnesses. The Bible says, by the words of two people, a testimony shall be established. Number three is Trinity or Triune. Number four is the number of the four winds of the earth, which is the north, south, west, and east. And number five is the number of grace. Number six is the number of men, according to Revelation 13, the last chapter. Number seven is the number of perfection, which means when you reach that number, you've perfected it. Number eight, Augustine, is the number of new beginnings. Then number nine is the number of giving birth. That's why a woman carries pregnancy for nine months. After nine months, it's overdue. Before nine months, it's pre, premature. So number 10 is the number of obedience. Number 10 is the number of commandments. You gave them 10 commandments so that you may test their obedience. Number 11 is the number of kingship. That's why you find out that uh, the 11 son of Jacob was a king. That's, uh, that, that, that's Joseph. And if you read from uh, Genesis, the 11th book of the Bible is the book of Kings. Number 12 is the number of tribes or the apostolic number. Number 13 is the number which means that when you reach that number, you are perfected physically by the spirit. Number 14, it is the number of Passover. Bible says on the 14th day, they left Egypt. Then number 15, 16, 17, 18 is the number of major, majority. When you reach 18 years, there is majority. 19, 20. Then number 21 is the number of maturity. Then 25, silver jubilee. Then you get to number 40. Number 40 is the number of mental transformation. The Bible says Moses lived with uh, Pharaoh for 40 years. Because that was the process of mental transformation for 40 years. He was then allowed to live with Jethro. Why? Because God wanted to transform him mentally. And for 40 years, they lingered around the wilderness. Why? Because they were not transformed. God wanted to transform them. Then when Goliath is coming, he shouted at them 40 times every day. 
who are equals, who are challenging their mindset and their mentality until they came and said, enough is enough. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine defiling the armies of God? So when we are in this five ministerial of gifts, they are given, number one, for the perfection of the saints, number two, for the edification of the body of Christ. So when an apostle is coming to you, a prophet, a pastor, an evangelist, a teacher is coming for two things, Number one, to perfect you. Number two, edification of Ecclesia, which is the body of Christ. So when Jesus Christ is speaking, he's saying, if you want now spirit without measure, you have to preach and to speak his word. So these uh, ministries, we are five, I have compiled their functions in the order of five Gs, so that we understand them better but we are not going to be exhaustive and speak about the prophet and speak about the evangelist. We will only lean around an apostle through the function that God has given apostles. So, number one, apostle, apostle governance. Come on, someone shout, apostle governance. Number two, prophets, the guide. Come on, someone shout, guide. Number three, evangelist, gathers. Come on, someone shout, gather. God. Number four, pastors, they guide. Come on, somebody shout, guide. Number five, teachers, they ground. Come on, somebody shout, ground. ground. Shout, ground. ground. So you find out that when the teacher is coming to you, presenting the word of God, is there to ground you. When apostle is coming, is there to govern you. So the only function of an apostle that was trying to answer that. An apostle's responsibility is to establish churches. This will bring perspective now to the prophecy that came to you and that was given to you, as well as the dreams and visions that are saying you're an apostle. We are told that apostles, they are there to establish churches. But from a priesthood viewpoint, an apostle has different functions, and there are different types of apostles. The name apostle, it comes from a Greek word, apostolos. So apostolos, it means the one who has got the authority to govern. So going back to Jesus Christ, John 19, 23, the Bible says when the soldiers took Jesus Christ, they made a public spectacle to Jesus Christ. After making a public spectacle, the last thing that they did was to take the garment of Jesus Christ. When they took the garment of Jesus Christ, the Bible says they broke it and divided it into four parts, the garment of Jesus. And after dividing it into four parts, the Bible says the garment of Jesus was seamless. You could not see the seams and you could not see how it was sewn because everything was inside. Number four, which represents now the four Gospels, the four winds of the earth, which means the Gospels were perfected in the life of Jesus Christ, which is, means Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were perfected in the life of Jesus. Then we were speaking of the four corners of the earth. They were all perfected in the life of Jesus. And they took his court his jacket. When they took the jacket, they said, let's not cut his jacket. So which means they had four parts of Jesus Christ's garment, then they had his jacket, 
which means they now eat five parts. These five parts now, they were metaphorically representing the five ministerial offices and gifts. The reason why the jacket was not cut is because the jacket of Jesus Christ, it represented two things. Number one, it represented the anointing. Number two, it represented the glory, which means they were saying that the anointing and the glory cannot be cut. The anointing that is upon your life and the glory that is upon your life cannot be divided by demons. The devil, Satan, witchcraft, necromancer, even those people that do not wish for, they cannot do nothing to the anointing that is upon your life. They cannot do anything to the glory that is upon your life, multifocally speaking. So when you read about Joseph, you understand that Joseph had a coat of many colors. So you read the Bible, you understand the significance of a court. Why a court? A court identifies you. So in the Old Testament, the church passing, whenever you put a court or a jacket, it was a form of identification. Then the jacket was taken by his brothers. And the Bible says, yet another jacket. Then when he went to Egypt, he stayed in Potiphar's house. When he stayed in Potiphar's house, the Bible says Potiphar's wife wanted to rape Joseph. And Joseph left his jacket. And when Potiphar came, Potiphar's wife took the jacket as exhibit or evidence. Why? Because he could be identified by the jacket or the coat. Then the Bible says when he was in prison, he had another coat of the prison. When he came out of the prison, Joseph, he had a, a, a prison jacket or a prison coat. Then Pharaoh said, take off that jacket. And he was given now that jacket of, of, of kingship and rulership by Pharaoh. So you find out again that blind Bartimaeus, he had a jacket of blindness. So when Jesus Christ is passing, he had that Jesus Christ is passing, then he started calling unto Jesus Christ, and he said, have mercy on me, son of David. Why son of David, David, not son of Joseph? Because when you mention David, you are mentioning the governing authority and the priesthood that is upon Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ was the son of David through the government or the kingdom government of David. So it is in the will of a king to do good to people. So when you say Jesus, son of Joseph, he's just an ordinary Jesus. And the Bible says, Christ is said unto blind Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? And blind Bartimaeus is saying, Ramon, so that I may see. Then the Bible says, when blind Bartimaeus started to see, he took off the jacket of blindness and was given a, another jacket of insight. So when they took Jesus Christ, they could not do anything to the jacket of Jesus Christ. And again, the four pieces of Jesus Christ's garments, they were representative of the four levels of the ground. The Bible says a preacher who is given the spirit without measure went out to sow and some seeds, they fell on a fatal ground. These are people that comes in the house of God, they hear the word of God, they exercise the word of God. And the Bible says again, some they fell 
on a stony ground. These are the people that when they hear the word of God this morning, the moment they leave this building, the way disappears, it disappears from their lives. And number three, the Bible says some they show on a thorny ground, which represents kisses. The Bible says when Adam sinned against God, God cursed the ground and said thorns and thistles, they are going to come from the ground. Then number four, some they throw on the way side, which means we have got another clique of the believers that after they hear the word of God, they continue to uh, go to the places or to plunge into decadence. They don't act and actualize God's word. They are hearers, but they are not actors of God's word. So as an apostle, come on, somebody shout, I'm an apostle. As a priest, come on, somebody shout, I'm a priest. You are called to govern as an apostle, as, an, as a priest. You are called to govern. So you have to then govern several things in life. Why? Because there's an apostolic function and an apostolic operation in life. We have got apostles that were called for the pulpit, but there's an apostle as a function and as an operation. So when I am functioning with an action of an apostle or operating with an action of an apostle, I then have to govern several things in my life. Number one, I must govern my life. I have to make sure that I govern things that comes to me and those things that goes out of my life. Why? Because if you do not govern your life, an outside force will govern your life. So number one, you must govern your appetite. You, you must govern your desires. You govern your body. You must govern things that you eat, things that you drink. You know, sometimes you feel like drinking Coca-Cola and Konak on the rock. Govern those appetites because you're an apostle. Am I talking about this place? You, you have visited family, you have visited friends, you are on a party, it's Christmas, it's New Year, it's, 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 it's uh, uh, Easter, you govern your appetites because you're an apostle. Other people, they are drinking things that are contrary to God's word. You have got that onus and the power to govern your life because you're an apostle. You are an apostle and a priest. From a priesthood now viewpoint, you are an apostle. Govern your desire, things that you just desire. Govern them. You know, some of the stress that we go through is because we cannot govern our desires. You pass through a shop, you see they have got techies that are going for 2.5. You want them, but your budget cannot allow you to govern that desire because you get and plunge into a place of, of stress. Govern the things that you desire. Don't desire too much. The reason why people, they plunge and they get into different satanic and diabolical activities is because they are failing to govern the desire of their life. If I'm not driving today, that's not a problem. If I am not owning a house today, that's not a problem. Because I'm governing my desire. You then govern your body. Don't just allow anything or everyone to just play with your body, govern your body, govern your soul, your mind, because in your soul, that's where your thoughts are. You govern your soul. You govern your emotions. You, you govern your will. Things that you will for, you govern them. 
you, you gather your emotions, don't just become emotional for no particular, do you know emotions are so good when they are used at a good place. When you are doing worship and praise, you have to use emotions for the power of God to move. So emotions, they are good when they are used and when they are exhibited at a place of praise and worship. But when you don't govern them, you use them every now and again. When someone puts a lot of salt, you are emotional. When somebody uh, does not give uh, the man that they are owing you, you become emotional, govern your emotions. Am I talking to somebody in this place? So after the demise of Jesus Christ, there were many, many apostles that were raised. Not only the twelve, when the apostles Christ at one particular time, he said unto the disciples, they went to Alexandria and they saw a man who was casting out devils. And they went unto Jesus and they said unto Jesus Christ, we saw a man casting out demons in your name. And Jesus Christ said, I have put a lot of disciples. If you are doing that which you are doing within the premises, within the jurisdiction of the world, you are doing great. So Jesus said the twelve that were around him every day. Jesus said he separated him. Jesus had the three hundred. So he had different kids of the apostles. So among the apostles that were raised after the demise of Jesus Christ were uh, people like Priscilla, people like Aquila, people like Secunda, people like Ananias, people like Gaius, people like Epaphroditus. The Bible speaking about Paul before he became Paul when he was to Saul. The Bible says in his Damascus moment, he's going to Damascus to persecute the church. And Jesus Christ visited Paul. And the Bible says the people that were with Paul, they could not decode the conversation that was going uh, around and that event or phenomenon. The Bible says after that particular time, this voice said unto Paul, I want you to go to the street called Springs. There you are going to find a man called Ananias. He is going to pray for you. And the Bible says, when Paul went to Ananias, that's where forensic prophets started. You go to a street called Springs. You are going to see an apostle called Ananias. Then you are going to live with Ananias for three days. Then he's going to pray for you, not only pray for you, it's going to bring deliverance and you are going to see and recover your sight. Then after speaking to Paul, the spirit gave and then moved and went to Ananias. And God said unto Ananias through the spirit, there is a man that I'm sending. So Ananias saw Paul in a vision and I want you to take care of Paul. Then I want you to pray for you. Ananias was afraid. He knew the pedigree of Paul before he was called Paul when he was Saul. And he was afraid and he wanted to refuse. But God said, I have transformed Saul to Paul. So when Ananias was given the assignment to, to pray for Paul, that was assignment was coming from the priesthood perspective. That when you enter a territory, that was the order and the protocol of the gospel, that you must then pass through the hands of an apostle who has got authority to lead you into the ministry that wants you. You have to pass through a priest. So Ananias was representing the priesthood office and the apostolic office. 
to pray for Paul, he's praying so that he introduced Paul into the atmosphere of ministries. Paul needed someone to introduce him into the ministry through the apostolic function as he introduced all these guys, the likes of Timothy, into ministry with this apostolic mission and mandate. I don't know if I'm talking to somebody in this place. So, when a, an apostle is moving or a priest, I want you to put uh, uh, some brackets there. When I say apostle, I want you to think about a priest. We said the word apostle comes from a Greek word, apostolos, A-P-O-S-T-O-L-O-S, which means one who is sent forth, which means again a messenger of God with miraculous signs. So apostles, they are not only there to establish churches, but they are sent with the ability to do miracles, signs and wonders. And apostles, again, they have got the grace to open other offices that are dormant, domicile, and redundant. They can open those offices. So Jesus Christ, as he's coming, he did not only come as Jesus Christ, he came as an apostle of apostles. Why did he come to give people the grace? Come on, somebody shout grace. Right. He had come to govern. That's why he said that I did not come so that I abolish the law, but I came so that I perfect the law, so that I establish the law. I didn't come to abolish that which was given to you. I came so that I perfect. This is the perfection of Jesus Christ as it relates to the law. Moses said that if you are caught in adultery, you must be brought before the elders and the judges. Then when you are adjudicated upon and the verdict was that you must be stoned to death. But Jesus Christ as he's coming, he said, I did not come so that I may abolish this law of adultery. I come so that I perfect it. And the perfection of this law was this now that in the time of Jesus, if you only look at a woman lastfully, you've committed adultery. So in the time of Moses, it seems like the law was a little bit uh, easy and it was a little bit accommodating. But in the time of Jesus Christ, the law is no longer accommodating. The moment you look, you have already committed. But in the time of Moses, you look, no one is going to judge you. But if now you are caught red-handed, then you are stoned to death. So that's the perfection of the law. Am I talking to somebody in this place? So he said, I've come to govern the law that was given to you by Moses. I've come so that I can fit and edify the law that was given to you by Moses. First Corinthians 3.10, you understand that the apostles, as Paul is talking about apostles, you are showing us that an apostle is a multifaceted person, a priest is a multifaceted person. You are not only called for one thing as an apostle, a priest in the kingdom of God, you are called as a multifaceted person. You are called with a strong administration. Are you seeing now the functions of an apostle? If you go to school, you do MBA, Master's in Business Administration, you are administering whatever you are doing at your place. You are working as a priest, as an apostle, in your own calling and in your own capacity. And I don't know if I'm doing something this place. You have been raised to become a manager or a supervisor 
into my place. It's no longer about the supervisor position, it's about the apostolic and the priestly function upon life. So an apostle, you are not facilitated person, you do a lot of things at the same time. And an apostle again is someone who has got the ability and the propensity to release gifts of evangelism. You have got the uh, a propensity to impart and release gifts, which means if I am an apostle here, I can release the gifts of evangelism, then I can impart things that you don't have. But why do we impart people? We impart people so that we close the gaps or the lacunas that are within your spirit. Because in every person's spirit, there are gaps that are there. You may know how to pray, you may know how to read the world, but maybe you don't know how to preach. As an apostle, I feel that gap by impacting the grace to preach. Maybe you know how to preach, but you don't have the grace to prosper through the principles of the gospel. My responsibility is that when I impact that, you then prosper according to the principles of the gospel. In my spirit, there are gifts that are there. That's why you find out that I, I don't deal with people that are on the wheelchairs because there are gifts that are there. But if an apostle comes to me, then he impart the gift. Tomorrow I wake up doing miracles, signs, and wonders. In me, there are gifts that are there again that I cannot do what preacher A is doing and preacher B is doing. I do what God has called me to do. But if preacher A has got the grace to raise up the dead, then I convert that same grace. Preacher A can uh, impact the gift to me. Before you know it, I will start now to raise people from the dead. That's the function of an apostle. And an apostle again has got the power to steal gifts. Because you may be having gifts, but you feel like they are now slumbering, they are sleeping, they are dormant, they are domiciled, they are redundant. As an apostolic function, you can or I can now steer those gifts. The Bible says, steer the gifts of prophecy that will release upon life by the name of yours. There is a steering that must be happening in life, but it takes a man of high authority to steer those gifts. The Bible says that the greater you bless is the lesser. So we see means that in the kingdom of God, there is a protocol that there are those that are greater and there are those that are lesser. It's not me, but it's the gospel. But it's not the responsibility of the greater to look for the lesser to bless the lesser. It's the responsibility of the lesser to look for the greater so that the greater may bless you as the lesser. So if I feel like I am missing something, if I feel like, you know, there are gaps in me, it's my responsibility to come to you, Mama Asia, and say, I covet what to do. You prophesy, can you release and impact a blessing? It's my responsibility. It's not you who imposes yourself to me. So which means if I don't get money and there's someone with money in my family, it's not the responsibility of the one with money to come to me and say, I feel like, but it's my responsibility to go there, then I talk to them, then they bless me the money. That's why companies are the greater and we are the lesser. Your company does not, does not come to your house looking for you. Companies, they don't come and knock 
you know you are, you, you, are, you, are, you, are, you, you know you are competent at that particular level is your responsibility as lesser to work in netbank, to work in short rights, to work in shakers and say I have studied this as a cashier, I am converting and I am applying for a job. So it's the responsibility of the lesser to look for the greater. So when an apostle is coming again, he's coming to build teams that responsibility. At one place, you have been assigned to build teams of life, teams of 10, teams of 20. When you are giving people under you, you are just not leading, you are not a team leader, but an apostle, you are a priest, you are functioning in apostolic function. When you are given a department to lead, Five, six, twenty, fifty people know that you are not just a team leader. And when you are given people to build and to train, you know, sometimes in our workplaces, there are intents that comes and you are given the responsibility to show them how the company works. You must know at the back of your mind, subliminary, that I am working as an apostle and I'm working as a priest in my office. I don't know if I'm talking to somebody in this place. And an apostle again has got the propensity to a steward. You have got that ability to steward people. When you steward people, you are training people, you are managing. The word stewardship, it comes from a business term which is management. According to theology, it's called stewardship. That's why the Bible says, to him who was given a lot, a lot shall be asked. And the Bible says, a man went to a far land and he left gifts with his servants. Some were given 30, some celestial, some they were given 100. And the one that was given 100, he invested and they doubled. The one who was given 30, he invested and they doubled. The one who was given 30, he did not invest. The one who was given 60, he invested. And they doubled. But the one was given 30, he did not invest. And the Bible says, when the master came from the old he said, You are not a trustworthy servant. Why? Because you did not employ the doctrine of stewardship. So in business, we call it management. So when I am managing people at a department, I am operating as a steward. I am a priest. I am an apostle in my own calling. Again, Apostles, they are for economic development. They are builders and are given the grace to build. So when you are working at a place of economic development, you are an apostle and you are a priest. So apostles in the New Testament, yet Amabiras. Come on, somebody shout Amabiras. So different from the 21st, we are talking of the church past, present, future. Different from the 21st apostles that have got Amabiras with the dark glasses, Amabiras with masters. I want to show you the Amabiras according to scriptures that apostles were supposed to work with. Paul, it is on Amabiras. Paul worked with Silas. The Bible speaks of Silas. The Bible speaks of Barnabas and Paul. Silas and Paul. It speaks of Paul and Timothy. This with Amabiras. But Amabiras, this what they used to do. In the olden days, apostles used to walk with armors and weapons. The Bible says about warfare is not a hammer, but it's mighty of putting down of strongholds and every mind that exalts itself about the knowledge of God, putting it under the subjection. So that was the responsibility of Amabiras. 
whenever there is any force, because the time the apostles were preaching the gospels is different with our times. Whenever you go to India to preach the gospel, you are supposed to expect him to be persecuted or to be killed. When you go to Jerusalem, the Bible says at one particular time, Jesus Christ said, let's go to Jerusalem because my friend Jesus is dead. The disciples, they said unto Jesus Christ, of let the disciples, the, the, the Jews wanted to kill you. Why should we go back to Jerusalem? And Jesus Christ said, and they know, 24 hours a day, then we went. So our believers were there to protect apostles, but were there to carry the Bible of an apostle, then to carry the armaments of an apostle, not those that were muscular, but they were supposed to be spiritual, they were supposed to be anointed, lacks of Stephen, the lacks of Philip, the lacks of Silas, the lacks of John Mark, the lacks of Priscilla and Aquila, the lacks of Secunda, the lacks of Gaius, the lacks of Epaphroditus, the lacks of Titus, the lacks of, of Barnabas, these were amateurs to apostles to protect them, which means that if I am not an amateur, my battle now does not become physical, but my battle becomes spiritual. I am going to somebody in this place. So, types of apostles, I'm going to give you seven types, then I'm going to tie the teaching of today in Jesus' mighty types of apostles. Number one, we are going to want to call mobilizing apostles. These mobilizing apostles, they have got the authority to take leadership in bringing together qualified leaders in the world of Christ. So they put the authority to take leadership in bringing together qualified leaders in the world of Christ for a specific cause or project. These are called mobilizing apostles. You have authority to mobilize your co leaders. And after calling leaders, there's a project that should be done. Maybe there's national prayer in South Africa that should be done. As an apostle, you mobilize other apostles because you have got authority. That's why you find out that even though you're an apostle, if you call for other preachers or apostles to come and gather, they don't come. But there's a voice that when somebody calls for such apostles, they gather. Do we call them mobilizing apostles? Number two, we have got congregational apostles. And these apostles, they function as senior pastors for a certain dynamic church. Congregational apostles, we have got vertical apostles, vertical like this. These are the apostles with authority to gather leaders who are lesser in anointing and speak on behalf of God's government. These are called vertical leaders. They have got the authority to gather leaders who are lesser in anointing, lesser in power, then they speak of the impartial on behalf of the government of God. Then we have got horizontal apostles, and these are known as convening apostles. These ones have got the authority to call together on a regular basis. So, horizontal, they are like this now. They are not like this, different from vertical. Verticals, they get an uptake from God. As we heard from Balanch, that molecules, they move from a region of higher spiritual concentration to a region of a lower spiritual concentration. So this one, they've got the ability now to move spiritual molecules, 
switch an anointing from a region of a higher spiritual concentration, then bring it from a region of a lower spiritual concentration. So the vertical, the horizontal ones are the, these ones now, which are called convening apostles. They've got the authority to call together all a peer-level leaders who minister in a defined field. Matthew 13 is the one that can show us a preacher went out to sow a seed. Then the other ones, they fell on the wayside, stony ground. Then the other ones, they fell on the stony ground. The other ones on the good ground. So when this horizontal leader calls other ministers, like sometimes what other ministers does, they come here, they do what you call pastors refreshes. When pastors, they go there, these are what you call horizontal apostles. So when they are dealing with these other leaders, they are dealing with four, gospel, four levels of the ground. They are dealing with the wayside, the stony, those that are thorny, and those that are good ground. Which means when they are dealing with the uh, stony ground leaders, these are leaders who are praised and challenged. The Bible says, if you don't praise and worship me, I'm going to raise these stones They are going to praise and worship me. So these are leaders that have got a problem when it comes to worship and to praise. Yes, they are preachers, but they don't understand the protocol or the heritage on how to praise and worship God. When you're talking of praise, you're not talking of singing and dancing. We are talking of the heritage, the whole program and protocol of how things should be done, which is called ministerial ethics or ethos. So they don't know. So these horizontal leaders they are there to impart wisdom and knowledge to the stony ground type of apostles. Then there are those that we call stony grounds apostles, where these apostles were called in ministries, but when they were called in ministries, they were not delivered prior to the calling in the ministry. So they are trying so hard, but financially they are stagnant, spiritually anointing noise. So Pharaoh is always following them, pulling them behind. So when one sort of apostles comes, they fight your battles. Yes, humans from your family, they are fighting me as an apostle. Demonic and satanic foundations, they are speaking against my life and my ministry. So when I go to a horizontal apostle, he's there to cut connections between me and my life, past, present, and future. So he cuts the past. Then he comes to my present, then they edify me, then my future becomes better. Then we have got among the apostles, those that we call good ground, which are good leaders. They just need to be exalted. The Bible says that a man of wisdom increases, that's uh, Proverbs, a man of wisdom increases in knowledge. So these are good ground, but they are not going to settle for less. These are the ones that have got much appetite and desire to know God, even though they know God, they preach God better, but they've got the desire, so they end up going to horizontal apostles so that they get impartation, refresher courses. I don't know if I'm talking to somebody in this place. Then we have got the ambassadorial apostles. These are the apostles we have got inherent anointing within them to reach outside their best. They frequent regional and international ministries of catalyzing a nature apostolic movements in a broader scale. That's an anointing that's inherent. 
they don't design their programs for their itinerary that I'm going to go to America, or I'm going to preach in Namibia, or I'm going to preach in Mozambique, or I'm going to preach in KZA. They put that inherent anointing that was within them, and they frequent different ministries. They nature those ministries, they catapult those ministries, they catapult those apostolic movements on a broader scale, but they frequent regularly. These are called different from the ambassadors of today. The ambassadors of today, they are after monies. Okay, number six, territorial apostles. We have got what we call territorial apostles, which is number six. These apostles, we have been given authority for leading a certain segment of the body of Christ in a given territory and a given territorial sphere, such as a city, such as a county, a state. So these are the apostles with an anointing that is territorial. And another function of these apostles is that when they get a certain particular territory, they have been given an anointing and an eye to see the graces that are missing on that particular territory. They are given the eagle's eye to see you go maybe to Rustenberg. You are an apostle there, you have just visited. Maybe you have gone to Yemen, you have gone to Cape Town, you have, you have gone to Venta, Limpopo. Because you are a territorial and apostle, you have got an eagle's eye. You can sympathize the grace that are missing. Or even if you get, get into a, a family set up, you are invited in a certain house, you can sympathize the grace that are missing, then you cause those graces to be available. Which means if he comes here, maybe the grace preach the grace to, 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 to education, the grace of finance, but there's no grace of miracles. Then such an apostles, they impart those graces and establish those graces. I don't know if I'm talking to somebody in this place. You, you ask them to pray for you in your family. While they are praying, maybe you are sick. They, they sympathize that, but in this family, there is no grace of money. I need to pray, and this grace is generational, and this man is generational. I need to bring money to this family. They start to pray for money after praying for your sickness. After two weeks, money comes. That's why the Bible says, when you enter a territory speaking to the disciples, if they receive you, you need to receive grace. And if they don't receive you, you need to wipe your feet and leave that particular city. These are called territorial seats, uh, prophecy and apostles. So when Jesus Christ went to Decapolis, I want to show you an apostle that is territorial. Where after he went to Decapolis, which was a place of ten cities, the Bible says that then there were some. Uh, there was a demon that was there. That demon was diabolical. Then after exercising this demon, the Bible says, then Jesus Christ took this man and taught him in an apostolic function and ministry. After teaching this man, this man wanted to follow Jesus. And then Jesus Christ said, no, you are not going to follow me. I want you to go back to your city, preach your city. Your city, it rejected you. Your city, it used you and you served your time. The people that have been using you and the people that have put demons in your life are from your city. But there is an anointing of a life for cities, which is territorial anointing. I want you to go back to Decapolis. Then I want you to preach to Decapolis. These are called territorial apostles. Then the last one is 
called marketplace apostle. Marketplace apostles, these are individuals who function in the business sector where they are responsible from a macro level to macro level of finance creation and income creation. Yes, you are a minister of the gospel in the church. You are a member of the word of Christ. But God has given you grace to work in governance. You are working as a general manager, as an MD, as a supervisor. At any level, then you create money at that level, being again a child of God to advance the kingdom of God. So which means when you make money, you travel, you go to France, you travel, you go to Senegal, you go to Mozambique, to Botswana, making money, but being a child of God, you are called a marketplace apostle. Maybe you've got a business that you are doing, you are selling shoes, you are selling clothes, you are selling groceries, you are a marketplace apostle. If there is no dichotomy there, there is no chasm from what you are doing to that which other people are doing, which means if this the apostles are brought together now, you find out that the mobilizing apostle, you want to mobilize if the marketplace apostle is not there. Because the marketplace apostle is there to create and generate income. I don't know if I'm talking to somebody in this place. He's there to generate revenue. So when I'm an apostle now, I mobilize people, then you are an apostle at a workplace. You are generating revenue, you bring revenue to the altar of God. That revenue is the one that is used now or that we can use to mobilize people. Then a congregational apostle is the one who spends time with the church. So without a marketplace apostle, a congregational apostle, there are no money to pay renters. There is no money to do administration and administrative duties. But the marketplace apostle, he pushes that agenda. He's the one now that sees you and says, let's buy a bus for the word of Christ. Let's buy land for the word of Christ. Let's, let, let's build. That's in the marketplace apostle. He then comes and says that the furniture that we have is an old furniture. Then he comes and says, let's change. That's the marketplace apostle. I, I don't know if I'm talking to somebody in this place. So this teaching and this presentation now, it brings perspective to life. That what I'm doing is getting in line with what God wants. Am I recalled by God? Am I functioning in what God has called me to function? I have prophesied this place that we are all apostles in this place. We are apostles and priests in this place. That's why I said you said I've looked for an apostle, but I found none in of a priest that can stand on the gap, but I found none. But the Bible says when God speaking about David, that I found a man after my own heart, a man by the name David was going to become a territorial apostle. We say this man of August here is our man of pursuing, our man of overtaking and recovering all. You can only pursue if you want to trust you in an apostolic anointing of your life. The Bible says when they went to Ziklag, he realized that the people that were Ziklag were captured by the Amalekites. And the Bible says that their houses, their buildings were built underground. And the Bible says he went unto Abiezer. Abiezer, 
you were intellectual priest for an apostle, Jesus, in that particular time, and said unto Abiezer, Give me the effort. An effort was a small matter that was used by the priests when they want to inquire from God. And said unto Abiezer, Give me the urine and the thumim. The urine and the thumim, there were two stones that were used when people want to adjudicate upon a matter. So these stones, they had some strange powers. You would put them in front of you. So after you inquire from God, if the urine falls, it means God is saying you must go. And if the domain falls, it means God saying you must go. So it was like a way of casting a lot. And a priest used to walk with these stones, and these stones were always around his diaphragm. And upon his chest, there were 12 stones that represented the nations and tribes of Israel. So David said unto Abiathar, give me the urine, the domain, and give me the effort. I want to inquire from God. And the Bible says, when David prayed unto God, with an apostolic and a prophetic and a priesthood understanding, he said unto God, can I pursue my enemies? And God said, pursue. And then said, will I overtake my enemies? And God said unto David, you shall overtake them. And then said, am I going to recover? And God said unto David, you shall recover all. And the Bible says, David said unto the man, that a crown is that one that you. God spoke to me through an apostolic and a priesthood anointing and fasting that we must follow our enemies. We are going to recover everything that the enemy has taken from us. I'm here to prophesy to somebody who has entered 2023 from January up to this present day. It seems like we have not yet given the power to pursue a pursuit. You know you are pursuing, it seems like you cannot catch up with your pursuits and the enemies that are taking your job, your peace, your health, your money, your marriage, and your relationships. And it seems like they have overtaken you and you don't have power to overtake them. And God is telling me this morning that you got to pursue, you got to make a conscious decision that I'm pursuing my pursuits. My overtakers. Not only are you going to overtake, you are going to recover all. But in the process of going to recover, God is saying you are going to meet with people that are broken. You are going to meet with people who are your enemies, but they are going to help you to recover the things that you want. You are going to befriend people that are financial broken. In a situation where you are believing God for money, you are believing God for financial breakthroughs, and the person that comes to your life as a friend, he is financially broke and bankrupt. You are looking for someone with money, but the people that God is bringing into your life, they are broke, they don't have money, they are financially bankrupt. You are saying, God, what is the meaning of this? And the Bible says, and they will pursue him. I want you to be sensitive in your pursuit because in the process of pursuing, you are going to meet with people that will connect the doors to the people that have taken your money, people that have taken your prosperity. The Bible says when David was 
standing with the casting and apostolic anointing. They met with an Egyptian who was wounded. The Bible was saying, Joab and Abner, they said, Time to death, let's destroy and kill this man. But David, he had an understanding as an apostle, he had an understanding as a Christian, and said, Let's not kill and destroy this Egyptian, let's give him food to eat. While they were feeding him physically, he then fed them in their destiny. There are people that are going to feed physically, materially, and financially. And we are going to feed our destiny spiritually. The Bible says, after this man was full, he then sent unto King David. The people that you are looking for, they are not far. So they looked as if they were far because they did not have anyone to connect them to the enemies. And saying that they are just near you, the Bible says they then managed to capture their enemies. And the two things that belong to them. I want to prophesy to somebody in this person that in this season you are pursuing your pursuers and you are going to overtake your overtakers. You shall recover all what because you are a priest unto God. The Bible says, Abraham, you must told that Lord was captured by some kings that were despotic and diabolical. The Bible says, Abraham joined forces with five kings to go and rescue Lord, his nephew. After they managed to rescue other kings, they discovered their belongings, they recovered their spoils. And the Bible says, after recovery, they then took a spoil from the kings that they had beaten and destroyed by the hand of an apostle by the name Abraham. And the Bible says, when Abraham came back, the king went unto Abraham and said unto Abraham, These are the gifts of what you have done unto us. Without your priesthood and apostolic help, we were not going to manage to recover our belongings. And Abraham said unto this king, I'm not going to take anything from this policy, lest you say that you have made Abraham rich. And the Bible says, after this conscious decision, when Abraham was walking, going back to his tent, when he had left Sinai, the Bible says, now Melchizedek, the prince and the king of Salem, he was waiting for Abraham. And the Bible says, when Abraham saw Melchizedek, the church past, present, and future, the name Salem, it means peace. So Melchizedek, you are the prince of peace. If you go to the book of Isaiah, you understand that Isaiah now is saying, a child has been born unto us, and a son has been given unto us. Fast forward, upon his shoulders, they shall be the government of God. His name shall be called Prince of Peace. Then Abraham is meeting with Melchizedek. Melchizedek is known as the king and the prince of peace. And if you read about Melchizedek, you understand that Melchizedek had no etymology, no pedigree, a family trace. Melchizedek just came from nowhere. He was like Elijah, he was like Jesus Christ. We could not trace the wall and village of Melchizedek. He's a man that came from nowhere, and that nowhere is from God. And the Bible says when Abraham saw Melchizedek, then Melchizedek identified Abraham. Abraham said unto Melchizedek, You are the king of 
standing in the presence of peace. Then Melchizedek said unto Abraham, I have been assigned to bless you. And the Bible says when Melchizedek spoke and released a blessing upon Abraham, Abraham took all 100% of his income or revenue. He took all of his money and his property. He then gave unto Melchizedek. And the Bible says when Abraham gave unto Melchizedek, he did not just give unto Melchizedek personally or individually. He then gave for Levi who was in his loans. So some of the things that we do in the house of God, we don't know what we are doing, but we are doing for a generation to come. Some of your prayers, some of your worship, you are doing it for a generation to come. Can I talk a song to somebody? Some of your giving, some of your commitments, is a Christian acting. You are doing it for your mom. You are doing it for your brother. You are doing it for your baby. You are doing it for your daughter and your son. Can I prophesy like a friend? Sometimes it's painful when you do that. But when the results are going to come, you shall be happy. Can I prophesy like a friend? The Bible says we are given a priest in the order of Melchizedek. The Bible says when Aaron came, the priesthood of Aaron had its own weaknesses. When Levi came, the priesthood of Levi had its own weaknesses. But when Melchizedek came, he perfected the life of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ came, he came as an ultimate priest, the priest who was the highest priest, the priest of priests. The Bible says he now has gotten into the holy of holies where he is now making intercessions for us. I don't know if I'm talking to somebody in this place. That's why Apostle Paul says that we don't know how to pray as we ought to, but the Holy Ghost makes intercessions for us. We bring spaces which are too divorced. Why? Because we have got a high priest right now as we are sitting there. Jesus Christ is in one of the holies, holding the answer of the reality. It's making convocations, making atonements for your life. Can I prophesy like a third? That's why the Bible says in Modern Testament, when the church passes, whenever you would come to the house of God, you are supposed to bring a bull, you are supposed to bring a hen, you are supposed to bring a goat for your sins to be forgiven, for you to make it in life, for you to be atoned and restituted. Because the, the, the age of that book and the age of the sacrifice will determine the longevity of your forgiveness. Which means if today you have brought a realm that was two years old, that realm that was two years old, what you want to determine the length of the forgiveness. After two years now, you need to bring another realm. Everything is in this place. If your realm is one year old, you are forgiven for one year. If your bull is ten years old, you will give a forgiven for ten years. If your bull was three months, you are forgiven for three months. But when Jesus Christ came, who is an ageless lamb, which means when I was forgiven, I was forgiven forever. Why? Because time cannot age Jesus Christ. Neither can age time Jesus Christ. I want to prophesy to somebody in this place that you carry an apostolic anointing, you carry an apostolic grace for the perfection of your life, for the edification of your business. The Bible says. 
Jesus allow witches and liars. You are born to make it, you are born to rise up as a child of God. They took your garment, they took your personality, they took your life from them, and they brought it and divided it. But they did not translate the fire that is speaking. They were prophesying out of priests, you cannot prophesy like a fit. But God is telling me this afternoon that whatever the devil was doing in your life, he meant it for evil. But God let me to follow you. Why? Because everything was for good. To make that love to God, that I don't have to give it to the purpose of God. When they took the garment of Jesus Christ, they brought it into four pieces. They thought that they were making it difficult for Jesus Christ. Where is my time? Don't be slain. You are 
Bless 
sold my soul. Why are you so troubled and so indulged? You've got to praise the Lord. And then I said to him, I am so low and down. Take you to the mountain that is higher than I. Can I prophesy like a spirit? When an apostle enter a mountain, mountains are not only physical objects. Thank <laughs> you. 